not ready. There we go. See, I didn't teach last week, so I'm a little bit out of my rhythm, you know? A little off my game. We're going to get back on the game. Uh, so we're talking about overcoming power, right? Life, life is a problem sometimes. How do you spell trouble? Everybody say it with me. L-I-F-E. So I had these grand ambitions. I was going to go into, I was going to start, I was going to do like an overview of the gospel of John. But then I thought, wow, I, I, I need a way more time than I have uh, available. And so uh, I thought, well, what am I going to talk about? What am I going to teach this week? What am I going to, I'm going to start a series and what are we going to talk about? And I've been wanting to do something on overcoming power, but I tried to figure out what the subject was. And I went, this, let's do discouragement. Let's do that one. You know why? Because we all need encouragement, don't we? Three of you. We all need encouragement. Encouragement is oxygen to the soul. Life will suck it out of you. It will whack you at every turn. Watch this. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have what? Trouble. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But don't be afraid. Have good cheer. Be encouraged because I have overcome the world. And then 1 John 5, 4, everyone born of God. That's you. If you're born of God in Christ and you've given your life to Jesus, you're born of God. The Bible says everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the power that, that we have that overcomes the world. It's our faith. So just by being born again, you've overcome a fallen world system. You're no longer part of this world. You're part of a kingdom. You're, you're translated from darkness into light. No longer part of a culture that's fallen and given over to decay. You're part of a life-giving eternal culture. So just by being born again, you've overcome a system. But not only have you overcome a system and a fallen system, you've been given overcoming power. And that overcoming power is activated through your faith. And what's faith, right? We have, I like to define terms. Faith is trusting in and believing the promises of God. That's what faith is. We trust in and believe the promises of God. So one of the things that we have to do if we're going like, to kind of activate overcoming power is you've got to stop thinking from your point of view. It's a problem, right? We think a lot of times only from our perspective, and we don't think from God's perspective. Christians are the only people on the planet that are given the ability to access the mind of Christ. You have an ability to think from his world. You have an ability to access how he sees in his world through the power of the Spirit. You get into the Spirit, and you access the mind of Christ. When you're in your spirit, your problems don't seem like big problems, do they? Right? In the natural, you're completely freaking out, and then you get in the Spirit, and it doesn't seem like it's a problem at all. You get in the spirit and you feel like you're a genius, right? In the natural, you feel like you don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so confused. I don't know. I'm just freaking out. I don't know what to do. You get in the spirit and you're like, I am a genius. I'm amazing. Or you look at the situation and everything changes because what happens is, is when you get in the spirit is you change worlds. We have access to the spirit world. And that is probably the most neglected gift. One of the most neglected gifts that Jesus has given to the church is access into the presence and the power of God, into the spirit, into the realm of the spirit. We're, we are really undeveloped on that. And a lot, unfortunately, um, a lot of Christians are untrained in that, not because they don't, they don't know or they're not willing, but because a lot of times churches don't teach people. Anything that relates to the Holy Spirit, the church freaks out. <gasps> so true. Got to keep everything decent and in order at all times. 
bless God. <laughs> Jesus said, it's to, my, it's to your benefit that I go. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit will not come. You mean there's someone better than Jesus? Yes, the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can be with all of us at the same time. And the Holy Spirit can be in all of us at the same time. And the Holy Spirit is literally the doorway or the, he, he administrates everything that Jesus paid for. Everything Jesus paid for, the Holy Spirit comes to administrate that. You cannot access the fullness of your inheritance without the blood of Je- that's been given to you by the blood of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You're just the spectator. In the Spirit, partnering with and understanding and relating to and through the Holy Spirit, you begin not just to be a spectator, you become a participant. Totally different world, right? You, you begin to access the things that Jesus has for you. That's why the church can't access things that are blood-bought. Blood-bought. We can't access it because we don't understand the power of the Spirit. These things are not available to us. God's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. They're given to us in Christ in heavenly places. In the Spirit is where everything is given to us. All of our provision lies there. And it's by the Spirit of God that we draw from one world into this one. Everything comes from his world into ours, on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a poem. That's a statement. It's not just a statement. It's a calling forth. We freak out about the Holy Spirit. or We, we create these reserved understandings. Either the Holy Spirit is crazy Uncle Larry who's doing all this, all this like psycho stuff in the church. Oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Really? Really? That, you mean that guy clucking like a chicken is actually, that's the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's true. That's not, you know, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> or he's, he's, he's reserved only to give us the warm glow. That warm glow, that's the Holy Spirit. That's all we can ever expect of the Holy Spirit is the warm glow. An occasional goosebump down the right hand, perhaps the left. Maybe a little tingle. Whew, whew. That's all we can expect. Don't expect anything else because that's all the Holy Spirit you're going to get, right? So either he's crazy Uncle Larry that we don't want anything to do with or he's, he's the warm glow upon the heart. He's far more than that. He's far more than that. He is the government of heaven. He is the administrator of everything Jesus came to give you. Everything comes through the Holy Spirit. Everything, everything. That's why the church can't function. That's why we're, we cannot function and we don't manifest the things that God has told us. We, have you ever read your Bible, Christian? Have you ever read that? Have you read the book of Acts? Have you read the gospels? When Jesus said, greater works than these you shall do? Was he talking about building schools and hospitals? No, no. Anybody can do that. Governments can do that. The church needs to do what only the church can do, and that's manifest the kingdom of God. With word and power. Supernatural. Natural, supernatural. Just think from his world. You have access to the mind of Christ. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but I'm telling you this morning. Moses told the people what the Lord said, but they couldn't listen anymore because they'd become too discouraged by the increasing burden of their slavery. So Moses is coming to minister to people, but they couldn't even hear what God had to say because they were overwhelmed by their slavery. They were discouraged by situations that just didn't ever seem to change. So no matter what God said to them, they didn't want to hear it because nothing's ever changed. They were discouraged, overwhelmed by the burdens of their slavery. Crazy, right? They saw their situation as hopeless. Say this. As long 
is I have breath in my body, and Jesus in my heart, and the Holy Spirit within me, there is hope. That's right. There is always hope. There's hopeless. Who told you that? Bible never says that. So they saw their situation as hopeless. If there's one guy in the Bible who has an opportunity to be, who gets a hall pass on being discouraged, it would be Paul, right? You think you had it bad? Next time you had it bad, just remind yourself, well, it's bad, but I've never been flogged, okay? Paul was flogged. I don't even know what flogged is, but it doesn't sound like it's a good thing to experience. I was flogged. And you're like, wow, right? Left for dead. The Bible tells us that they beat him with stones, dragged him, right? So they beat him with stones until he's literally unconscious and bleeding. They drag him outside the city because he's dead. Last, last thing we need is we need to leave a dead man in the city that we just killed. They drag him outside the city and they leave him for dead. So you imagine you just get beaten with rocks and you're unconscious. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're outside the city. They drag him outside the city, left for dead. It's bad, but you haven't been left for dead, Right? Nobody's beating you down with rocks. He was imprisoned several times for no particular reason at all. They would just throw him in jail. He'd show up in a town. Oh, there's a troublemaker. Arrest him. Ultimately, they charged him with sedition. That's what he was killed for. What was that? Sedition against the Roman Empire. Upsetting the status quo. Huh? That's what he did. He preached another king. He preached Jesus. Christ crucified in resurrection. They viewed the Romans viewed that as sedition. The Jews could find nothing to kill him for, even though they just wanted to kill him. The Romans found a charge against him and they executed him. He was beaten with rods. How's that one sound? Beaten with rods. And if you just read, we read this stuff like it's poems. If you really just think about that for a second, like what does it look like to get beaten with rods? Right? Shipwrecked, the Bible says a day and a night in the deep. So he's in the Mediterranean Sea, bobbing up and down a day and a night in the deep. Shipwrecked. He was betrayed. His best friends betrayed him. False brethren betrayed him, he says. People who said they were my friends. He was beaten by the Jewish leaders four times with 39 lashes. Whipped, right? It's not the cat of nine tails the Romans use. The Jews use the different whip. So the Bible says he was whipped Four times, 39 times. The Romans would give you 40 lashes. The Jews thought they were being merciful. They only gave you 39. We'll take one away. <laughs> he was starved, robbed, and pressured. The Bible says pressured on all sides. He said, I have trouble in the country. I have trouble in the city. I'm pressured from the churches. I'm pressured from the government. I'm pressured from false brethren. I'm pressured from religious leaders. Pressure on every side. So if anybody gets a hall pass for being discouraged, it's Paul. Next slide. But all these verses are going to come out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul is writing to a church. And he's going to show us what encouragement actually looks like. What is discouragement? Discouragement is when you have no courage, without courage. What does that mean? It means you want to give up. When you want to give up, you're discouraged. Okay? Anybody ever want to give up? I can't do this anymore, right? I just can't take it another day. I feel like running away from home. <laughs> Time to go to church. I don't want to go. You have to go. You're the pastor. Get up. 
You feel like you want to give up. You feel like you stop caring. You lose hope and you stop believing. So what the Jews were, the Hebrews were saying, they couldn't hear anymore. They didn't want to believe anymore because their circumstances were too great. So we're going to go through a few things here of how to remember to be, how to get encouraged. And the first way you need to be encouraged is remember that Jesus loves you. Okay? Jesus loves you. And that's a trite little statement that we throw. Do we really know what that means? He loves you so much. The Bible uses this word love, and it, the word love means he's seeking the highest good. What it means is that God loves you. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what the situation is, no matter where you are, the Lord is working on your behalf. He's not having some emotional experience about you. When it says Jesus loves you, he's not up there going, oh, I just feel so emotional. I'm just feeling just emotional for you today, Carmen. That's not, how he's, that's not how he's viewing it. When he's viewing it, he's looking at you and he goes, I love you. And so what that means is, is that everything he's doing in your life is to benefit you. No matter what your situation is, no matter where you are, God is looking for a way to bring about the highest good, not just good, but the highest good into your life. <laughs> that's what he's doing. So why are you discouraged? No matter what's going on, God's working on your behalf. What you need to do is find out what God is doing and partner with that. Don't resist him. He's seeking the highest good. Do you know Jesus never has a negative thought about you? Somebody goes, I don't know about that. Jesus <laughs> does not have a negative thought about you. He never has a negative thought about you or your situation. There is nothing in God's eyes that is wrong with you. Nothing. Everything that God viewed as wrong with you, he nailed to a cross, ladies and gentlemen. He no longer regards you in the flesh. He regards you in the spirit as a son and daughter. We go from a people where there's something desperately wrong with us. We have a sin nature. We become born again. So now there's nothing wrong with us. There's only what's missing. There's nothing wrong with the believer. There's something missing. What is it? What's missing? They don't know who they are. What's missing? They don't know the authority that they've been given. What's missing? They don't know who God is. They don't know what love is. They don't know the plans and the purposes that God has for their life. They don't know what the kingdom looks like. That's what's missing. There's nothing wrong with the Christian. You're born again. What we end up doing is we end up hacking at the branches, and we're all just out here trying to deal with all the things that are wrong with us. God does not look at you in light of what's wrong with you. Bible says, whatever things are pure, I don't know if I put that, oh yeah, I did. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, and if there be anything of any virtue or of any praise, think on these things. That's, how, that's not just God telling us how we should think, that's how God thinks of you. He's looking at you, and he sees how, and he looks at you, and he finds the lovely in you. He looks at you, and he finds the pure in you. That's how he sees you. You're not sinners any longer. You're sons and daughters. You're not even servants. You're not even friends. You're higher. I'm a son, and I'm a son of the highest who's, my, who's the friend of my father. I'm a son of the highest who's a servant of my father. That's who I am. I'm forever a servant, and I'm forever a friend. But my high calling is son. I didn't send in a resume. I received Jesus, and it was given to me. Romans says we're heirs. And we're heirs of his kingdom, and we're joint heirs with Christ. You're co-equal with Jesus in spiritual realms. Why? What does that mean? I don't think we can fully understand it right now, but we can guess, right? What does that mean? 
It means it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It means it's his good pleasure to bring you on equal status. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. Seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're seated in authority, in equal status with him in the heavenly realms. What's missing? You don't know who you are. What's missing? You don't know where you're seated. That's what's missing. You're too busy identifying yourself with what's wrong with you. God's not looking at what's wrong with you. It's the whole nature of New Testament prophetic. The prophetic isn't calling out what's wrong with someone. The prophetic is calling out how God sees them. Changes everything. Remember that Jesus loves you. The Bible says this. He never has an evil thought about you. He never had any negative about you. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Does that sound negative? Man, I got this plan for you. I cannot wait to get you in that position so that I can drop the hammer on you. Who told you that? Who took God's doing this to me? You have a wrong mentality. If you think the things that happen to you are a result of God doing that to you, you don't know the Lord. You believe lies. The things that happen to you are a direct result of a choice that you make. So they may be a consequence of a choice. It may be an inherited right that the enemy is using against you. But in no way is God visiting judgment upon you. In no way. You may be reaping what you've sown, but that doesn't come from God. You make a choice, there's a consequence to the choice. But God's not doing evil to you. Not, not doing evil to you. If you believe that, you have a, that, that's a lie, and you are rooted in a lie. That's a lie. And lies lead us into bondage. Lies affect everything. It's a problem. You want to get rid of some lies? Come to the school today. We'll get, we're we're going to unroot lies, man. We're going to get those rot lies right out of you. He makes everything beautiful in its time. He's for you. He loves you. Doesn't matter what's going on. He's going to take this thing. He's going to take your, your, your messed up, screwed up situation. The Bible says he gives beauty for ashes. Say, my life's nothing but an ash heap. I burnt the house down. Ready? Again. Right? Because most of us don't burn the house down one time. Can I get a, can we get, can, is there anybody, can I get a witness? Most of us, we don't torch our lives once. We torch it five, six, eight, ten times. Some of us annually. Some of us it's quarterly, right? Some of us it's weekly. I hope it's not daily at this point, right? We burn it all down. And the Bible says God gives beauty for ashes. What have you burned down? Give it to the Lord. I did it again. I torched it again, Lord. I just don't know what came over me. I, whatever your reason is, it doesn't matter. You give the ashes, he gives beauty, and he makes it beautiful in his time. God in his mercy, here's Paul talking in 2 Corinthians, why we should be encouraged. Because of the mercy of God. He has given us this ministry and a work to do. You have a ministry, Christian, and you have a work to do. And it's given to you by his mercy. What is mercy? It's the Greek word charis. It's spiritual power moving in love. Everything God gives you, he gives you the power to do it. You don't have to do anything. The Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. He, he does all the heavy lifting. And the Holy Spirit, all he's doing is administrating what Jesus has already paid for. So the power to serve God, the power to do what God has called you to be, to be who God has called you to be, and to do what God has called you to do, is, is already supplied to you by the Spirit. We have this given to us by the mercy of God. That's why we're not discouraged, and that's why we don't give up. We don't give up because it's not about us. The power doesn't come from us. You have a ministry. Every Christian has a ministry. The word ministry is servitude. Under rower is what the word means. The one who below deck making the ship go. 
Everybody has a ministry. You have a ministry unto the Lord. You have a ministry within the church. You have a ministry unto the world. Every single Christian has a ministry. Whether it's leadership, whether it's mercy, whether it's compassion, whether it's restoration, whether it's justice, whether it's the proclamation of the gospel, the establishment of the kingdom in some aspect, every single Christian has a ministry in every phase. Unto the Lord is a ministry. I don't even know how to minister unto the Lord. Get in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he's a wonderful teacher. He's a wonderful teacher. You get in the Spirit, and all of a sudden, the Lord will go start, you'll start feeling the Lord. I don't know, but I just feel like being thankful. Okay, well, open your mouth and start saying thank you. Start being grateful. Ministry unto the Lord. Ministry unto, within the church. Every Christian has a part. And then ministry unto the world itself. Access to spiritual power by and through love. This is what charis means. You have access to spiritual power. Human emotions. Here's our problem. Situations happen. And human emotions are powerful, aren't they? <laughs> They're overwhelming. Uh, and sometimes you can know the right thing to do, but you are so overwhelmed and so captivated by the problem that you can't bring yourself to do it. Is there anybody here? You know you should get in the spirit and you should worship. You know. You know that the problem doesn't lie with ruminating over the problem over and over again. Thinking about this thing 50 times isn't really going to solve anything. Getting in the spirit, getting the mind of Christ, and getting the peace of God, that's going to be helpful. But the problem with that scenario is the emotions are overriding the problem. God does not condemn the emotion. You're human. There is a margin for human, human humanity. There's a margin for human emotion. It's another thing the church freaks out about. Nothing emotional. Nothing emotional. Don't want any emotion. No emotion here. God doesn't want any emotion here. <laughs> he is an emotional God. And he loves emotional interaction. Weeping and crying and singing and shouting and dancing. That's how he commands his people to interact with him. The Bible says he leaps from his throne and twirls in the air. He leaps from his throne and spins in the air. What's that going to look like? I don't know, but we're going to see it. And, he, and the Bible says when he does that, he shouts. He leaps, twirls, and shouts. I don't know if my ankles would support it, but, you know, leap, twirl, and... Give it a shout. He's an emotional being. We act like there's no, we have no margin for that. God has margin for that. He has margin for your motion. A lot of times what I've discovered, because I live this stuff, I'm a practitioner of the gospel. When I'm overwhelmed, I give myself a margin for that, and I realize I'm overwhelmed. So what I need to do is I need to chill out, and I need to get calm. I need to let the, let the waves of the emotions do whatever they're doing, because they're, sometimes you can't stop them. Right? Don't act like you can stop it. Because if you're in here this morning going, I can control my emotions at all times, really, you're just going to open up the gate and it's coming at you. So a situation's going to come where you're not going to be able to stop that flood of emotion from coming. When the circumstances are really heavy and situations knock you, literally, has anybody ever been hit so hard that you feel like you were knocked outside of yourself? Has life ever hit you so hard where you feel like, I just left my body? You're like... That's what I'm talking about. You've got to give yourself a little bit of time that you, you cannot, oftentimes you can't minister anything in that moment. You just got to let it, let that ride, let everything settle, and then you go into the spirit. Because you're, you're in a tempest, right? 
You're in a tempest. And if you, you know, I know, Holy Spirit's there. I know, Spirit of God's there. I know, I need to get in the Spirit. But everything in me is just being consumed by this tidal wave of emotion. And we in our self-righteousness go, well, you just need the peace of God, brother. You need the peace of God. The religiously correct, I have no time for it. No time for it. This, this stuff works out. This, this gospel is applicable in real time, right? This power is available in real time. It operates in time and space. It doesn't operate in some religious context or box. It actually functions and is designed to function within the world in which we live. We have to understand that. The, pur- the first purpose of your life is to let Jesus love you. Do you know that? That's purpose number one. God so loved the world he gave. God's purpose for you, the number one purpose for you, you were created by love and you were created for love. The number one purpose for your life is to learn to let Jesus love you. The problem you can't let Jesus love you is because you don't love you. Somebody lied, you believe lies. There's all kinds of nonsense that's underneath the thing. And we believe lies about God. We believe that he's not good. We believe that he's not loving. We believe that he does. He couldn't possibly love me. Oh, he saved me, but he doesn't really love me. No, he really loves you. He really loves you. Why? No, that's your guess is as good as mine. Why? I don't know why, but he does. He loves you just because. He loves you just because, for no particular reason at all. The Bible puts it this way. He sets his affection on you. He decided to love you. The unchanging God looked at you and said, I choose you, and I choose to love you. I choose humanity, and I choose to love broken, messed up, screwed up humanity. And the scripture goes in, and Christians get into this weird mindset, and the Bible actually answers that. It says, if he loved you when you were a sinner, how much more does he love you now? Well, he loved me, but, you know, I know him now, and I just keep messing everything up, so God couldn't possibly love me now. You need to go to the mirror and give yourself a high karate. <laughs> right? <laughs> if he loved you when you were a sinner, how much more does he love you now? <laughs> You're a son and daughter. He doesn't retract his love from you. Because the love is not based upon your action. His heart towards you, you can't screw it up. If you could earn it, then we'd have a problem, right? But you can't earn it. It's gift. It's given. You're adopted. You belong to him now. And y'all know about you, know, but know this about God, but he's very jealous and possessive of what belongs to him. He takes really good care of what's his, okay? He's a blesser. Right? He polishes his cars. Right? He takes care of what belongs to him. He doesn't neglect it. You belong to him, you will never be neglected. The Lord takes care of his own. He takes amazing care of his own. The bread belongs to the children. But he's insanely possessive of what belongs to him. He doesn't share it because it's his. He'll protect it at every turn. He'll defend it at every turn. main purpose of your life is to let Jesus love you. When you get this... You know what you have to do? You don't have to prove your worth anymore. You don't have to prove to anybody what your value is. You know why? Because Jesus has put it on you. He's told you what you're worth. You say, how much am I worth, Jesus? He says, this much. He opens his arms and then he dies. He says, you're worth this much to me. That's how valuable you are to me. True. When you realize that he loves you. You know what I do? I love, you know why, you know why you, I love me? I love me because Jesus loves me. 
That's the only reason. And you need to love you because Jesus loves you. If he loves you, and his, he's a little higher than you, and it's his honor to love you, I refuse to accept an identity that is beneath the one that he has placed upon me. If he says I am loved and highly favored, I will not accept an identity that is beneath that. If he says I'm a son of the highest and an heir of this life and the one to come, I will not accept an identity that's beneath that. I will not. I didn't say I understand it. <laughs> first part is agreeing with it, Christian. Understanding comes later. The first step is agreeing with it. When you know you're loved, you don't have to prove you're valuable because God's already told you how valuable you are. And you don't have to stay in your failure. You know why? Because he loves you. And that love is actively working towards your good. So you got to know, I failed, but I don't have to stay here because love changes everything. God's love, God, Lord, will you help me? Every time. Every single time. There's not a time where you will ask the Lord for help and he will not show up. <laughs> he gives that, he teaches us that so many times. My favorite, I'll share it again. I don't know, I've shared this a hundred times because I love the story. Israel runs away from the Lord. The Lord gives him a prophetic word. Ready for this one? You think you're screwed up. God comes to the Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah goes, look, guys, I got a word from God. The Lord says, don't run away. Stay where you are. And you know what they do? They run away. But just in case, they take the prophet with them. I love it. <laughs> they take, just in case, we're going to, they kidnap. Literally, Jeremiah was kidnapped and taken with them. And then they're in a screw, then they, everything just turns into a disaster. God says, don't do that. They do it anyway. It blows up, and they're like, oh, man, we blew this up. Wow, what are we going to do? And they go, well, let's see if there's a word from the Lord. And they go to Jeremiah, and they go, is there a word from the Lord? And you know what the answer was? Yes, there is. Do you understand that? There's always a word from the Lord for you. There's always a direct, God never ignores you. He doesn't just go, oops. You know, stop asking me. You, should, you know my word for you is? Idiot. That's my word for you. That's what you should. <laughs> Next slide. You don't have to stay in your favor because failure because God loves you. Live as you were created to be. Again, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. It says, we don't try to trick anybody. We're not twisting the word of God. Instead, we speak truth plainly and we let everybody know. Say it with me. Let everybody know who I really am. Mm -hmm. People go, who do you think you are? I'm like, I'm a son of the highest. And you know, I actually tell them, thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell you who I really am. <laughs> you think you're all that? No, I don't think I'm anything, but Jesus says that's what I am. And so therefore I am. We speak the truth plainly and we let everybody know who we really are. You were not created for the approval of others. Trying to please other people will discourage you. Can I get a witness? Do you know why? Because people change. They liked chocolate ice cream on Tuesday, and they want strawberry ice cream on Thursday. Right? People change. And if you're spending your life trying to win the approval and pleasing other people, you're going to get discouraged because people change. They change. You're not created for them. You were created for the approval of the Lord. That's it. By him, through him, and to him are all things. You're created for his approval and his approval alone. So who cares what anybody else thinks? There's a great value in indifference. All of the mercy people go, what does that mean? You don't care? 
I understand mercy at a deep level. I understand people that have mercy gifts, they're, they're very compassionate and very caring. So this sounds like it's uncaring. I'm indifferent, and you should be indifferent to the opinions of other people, including yourself, if those opinions in any way differentiate from anything the Lord has said. I'm indifferent. I don't care what people say of me because I know what I'm doing. I don't care what people think of me or what their actions are. In other words, people's opinions are not going to affect my decisions one way or another. Whether you think I should wear blue or you think I should wear red or you think, you know, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to dishonor anybody or anything. I had one guy say to me, your church needs to take up an offering because you look like you came off a camping trip. That's what one guy, one guy on the internet. I started talking to him. This is a little conversation. He's on Facebook. I don't know where he's from, Illinois or something. And I, I, so I started talking to him and I said, uh, and I said, well, why do you say that? He said, you should just dress more business professional. He's like, it's just more representative of the ministry. You know, and I didn't answer him, but what I wanted to say is, I want to go old school. Why don't I come with robes and a sandals and I'll be more Jesus-like? That's really how I should dress. <laughs> That's not to say you're not conscious of how you dress. That's not what I'm trying to say. But too many of us allow every little opinion that anybody else has to affect us. We, we're not created for that. The only opinion that matters is Jesus. That's it. Lord, what do you say? Lord, what do you want? That's, that's it. Let people know who you are. There's two words, two Greek words. There's symorphous and metamorphous. Symorphous means to become as one or to become entwined. We're called to be like Jesus. The Greek word is the word symorphous. Our lives are to become interwoven, and what it literally, what symorphous means is symbiotic, that literally you become as that one. So we're to become as Christ. Our lives are to be so interwoven with Jesus that it creates this Greek, this Greek word, symorphous. Symorphous creates metamorphous. Metamorphous means transformation in every way. The Bible says be transformed. That's the, the Greek word that's transform, used for transform is the Greek word metamorphous. So to be metamor to, in order to have metamorphic change where everything changes, changing in the highest way, it's first got to be symorphous. You've got to become like Christ. You've got to intertwine. Your life has to be yielded unto him. You've got to follow him. You've got to press into him. You've got to let his world come into your world and your world come into his. It's got to become this intertwining. It's got to be this yieldedness. And that creates metamorphic change. Everything changes. It's discouraging trying to be somebody you're not. And it's discouraging trying to live up to the expectations of other people. So true. <laughs> the third thing Paul tells us is that life is not about us. What? That's it. I'm out of here. You mean it's not about me? Nope. Not about you. Not about you. <laughs> Most American churches, that's the message. You're a champion. It's all about you. Everything, Jesus is your bellhop. You know, whatever you want, just ring the bell, and he's going to bring it to you on a, on a steaming hot plate. That'd be great if that was true, but it's not. The Bible tells us it's not about us. It's about him. Our message is not, see, look at that, not about ourselves. It is about Jesus Christ as Lord. We are merely servants for Jesus' sake, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Your life's a message. Your life is not about you. When you become born again, the Bible says your life is no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. And there's huge ramifications to that statement. 
Your life now is purchased into his world. And our, the life that when we now live, we don't live unto the flesh. We live unto the Jesus. We live unto the Son of God. We're merely servants for Jesus' sake. It's not about you. Your life speaks a message. What is it saying? What's your life saying? Depressed? <laughs> Hopeless? <laughs> Woeful? Selfish? I don't know. 2 Corinthians 3.3, you are an epistle. That means letter. You are a letter of Christ served by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the Lord on tablets not of stone, but of human flesh. Your life is a letter. Your life is designed by God to speak. Our lives are to speak. Somebody told me a long time ago, because I had, uh, uh, all right, I'll tell you some stories. You guys want to tell my stories? Am I boring you? All right, whatever. So, I had a lot of issues and um, was around, let me just say, I was around, uh, I, had a, I was under training and I had a, the training ministry I was under and they're like, your sermon should never be longer than 20 minutes and you should never deviate, Kevin, you keep walking away from the podium. You should always stand directly in front of the podium and read from your notes. Well, you see, I do none of that, right? And this was like kind of how I was trained. And then they also uh, were not really, they, didn't, they weren't enthusiastic about my enthusiasm. And so they told me I needed to calm down and all this stuff. And I talked to a person one time who I respected a lot. And I was kind of telling him, I was young at the time, I was in my 20s. And so I was explaining to him like what I was going through. And I didn't have it all together. I'm not saying that everything that I did was correct. But I was going through the struggle of I felt like there was just this repression over me. And I wanted to be submissive. But at the same time, I felt like they were just, I felt like I was being squeezed into something that I was not. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't even breathe. And the person said to me, he said, bring the weight of who you are to the world and let them deal with it. Amen. I don't know if you just heard what I just said. Bring the weight of who you are to the world and let them deal with it. In other words, Kevin, the problem's not yours. The problem's theirs. They can't handle it. And it doesn't, and I had a lot of, I had a lot of wild hairs, right? I had a lot of things that needed to be trimmed. And you, and so do you, right? We got a lot of trimming, got some waxing going on, some, you know, got some things that got to happen, got some trimming in some, some areas that have to happen. But the, the substance of who I am was, was true. And that's the same for you. In Christ, the substance of who you are is true. And what people want to criticize you and condemn you on is the kind of the areas that are kind of sprouting off that, that may, maybe you don't have it all controlled. You know, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I didn't have everything I wanted to say correctly, or maybe I didn't have, maybe my mannerisms weren't correct. And maybe I ran, I never ran, but maybe I ran from one side of the stage to the other too often. Maybe I did that. That may have been true. But the weight of who I am was still, was still, was still right. And, it, and as you push in and allow the weight of who you are to come forward and you realize that the only one that needs to nurture you is Jesus, God, God has an interesting way as if you present it to him, he starts dealing with you in these areas of your life that need to be corrected. And God's gentle and he's kind. And he'll point things out to you and he'll change you and he'll tell you, you need to deal with that. You need to deal with that. You need to deal with that. You know, most of us, if God tells us anything, we suck our thumbs because we don't believe we're loved. When you say, if Jesus says something to you and you go in the corner and suck your thumb, you need to look in the mirror and tell yourself, you don't know you're loved. We think we, we ferry Jesus. Jesus loves you too much to leave you the same. He's going to look right at you and tell you what your problem is. You got an attitude problem here, Kevin. Oh, yeah, what's that? You know, whatever. He'll tell you. He'll tell you the first thing. Then you got to ask him the second question. 
you don't ask him a second question, he'll leave you this right there. That's the one thing you don't want is Jesus to leave you the same. Then you come back, you go, Lord, what's wrong with me? And he goes, like, I told you six months ago, you had an attitude problem. And you go, well, what's my attitude problem? Oh, so now, you know, we just waste six months or God tells you, you know, something and you go and suck your thumb because he says something to you that you don't like. Oh, that's not Jesus. Yeah, no, no, that's Jesus. That's the rock of offense telling you to pull it together, telling you to discipline, telling you to follow through, telling you to show up, telling you to stop being a baby, telling you to mature, telling you to read your Bible, telling you to worship, telling you to encounter the Spirit, telling you to deal with your junk. That's, that's, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not Jesus. It's, if it's condemning, it's not Jesus. Jesus is not in the condemnation, right? So that's not the Lord. But he's definitely in the uncomfortability business. He's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character. Comfort's not his goal. Character is his goal. Why? Because character is the only thing that can support glory. The weight of his goodness can only be supported by character. And so he has to build character in order to put glory on your life. Most Christians can't get glory on their life because they never let Jesus build the character. Just the thought. Next slide. Recognize that you're limited, okay? You can't do it all. So this is another way. We get discouraged because we can't do everything, right? You get, anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? You want to do everything you can't do? It's like, oh, man. You can't do it all. Well, not, you can't do it all. You can't fix other people's problems. Somebody needs to write that one down. This is for somebody here this morning. Say it with me. I cannot fix other people's problems. I can't even fix my own. Only Jesus can fix other people's problems. You ever feel drowned by other people's problems? You ever avoid conversations with people because you know you're going to just be drowning in the problem? <laughs> We're all identifying my uncle, my sister, my cousin, my neighbor. <laughs> Here's what happens. Maturity looks like this. So you can't fix other people's problems. You can't fix your own. You got to realize that you actually have weaknesses. Here's the path of maturity in the Bible. Here's where we go from. We go from, I don't have any weaknesses. This is the religiously correct churches. We don't have any reaches. We don't have any weaknesses. I've been in many churches. I was leaders in churches like this. Like, we don't have any weaknesses. We're spiritually mature at all times. I and mean, everything's defined and we just don't. No, you have weaknesses. You just hide them. That's actually the lowest form of maturity is when you acknowledge that you, you don't have any weaknesses. The second thing we do as we grow is we begin to excuse them. Well, yeah, I have that problem, but, and I have that problem, but, you got a big but in a way. And then the second thing is, so you, <laughs> you don't have any weaknesses, and the second thing is, is you excuse them. Then the third thing is, is you accept them. You're like, all right, I'm messed up, I'm broken. The highest place is when you glory in them. The Bible tells us to glory in our weaknesses. What does that mean? I'm weak and, I, and I'm so happy I'm weak. No, it means you are no longer looking to yourself for strength. I glory in my weakness, Paul says, because where I am weak, there he is strong. And you realize that you can't do it. And so your immediate reaction is not to look to yourself. You've just transformed. Because most people, their first reaction is to look to themselves. Our first reaction, that's where it is. When you know, well, I know it's not here. What I do is I look to and I go, okay, Lord, is the strength here? No, nope, strength's not here. Okay, I need the strength. I can't do it. I need the strength. 
You glory in your weakness. You glory in your inability so that you can draw from his strength. That's, but there's a process that we have to go through. And most people get stuck in the idea that we don't have any weaknesses. Oh, I got it all together. Got it all together. Most religiously correct people on the planet on Sunday morning. Shot out on Monday morning, but my gosh, we got it all together on, on Sundays, don't we? High and tight. Got family-style Bible bringing it in in a wagon. Got your suit on. You know, <laughs> got it all correct. <laughs> no circumstance can be defeat can defeat you. Why be discouraged, Christian? Say this with me. The only way, the only way I, lose I lose is when I quit. Uh huh. We often suffer, but we're never crushed. Aren't you glad? Even when we don't know what to do, we don't give up. That's the key. In times of trouble, you feel like giving up. You want to give up. You might want to give up for a day, but the idea is to not give up over the whole thing. We're not giving up. We don't give up. That's the only way the Christian loses. God is with us. When we're knocked down, we get up again. We get up again. Nothing can defeat the Christian except quitting. That's it. It's called redemptive suffering. The Christian has to go through things just like other people, but the big difference is our suffering and the things that we go through actually produces something. I'm convinced that the suffering of this present time is, is producing a more exceeding weight of glory. That's what the Bible says. So your suffering is actually, when you go through stuff and you got family issues and you got financial issues and you got emotional issues, what that's actually doing because it's a redemptive suffering because you're a Christian is it's actually bringing transformation and it brings benefit. The world doesn't have that, people. Non-Christians don't have that. We walk in on the water what other people sink in. It's so one of the messages of Peter walking on the water is that the believer walks in what the world will sink in. We have a supernatural ability to rise above things that should destroy us. How many of you have faced situations that should have destroyed you and should have consumed you and should have buried you and you have watched friends, neighbors, people all around you, celebrities, whatever, go through the same thing and they have been destroyed. Destroyed. But you stand. Why is that? Because you're cast down, but you're not forsaken. <laughs> Bible says, mark the righteous man, that though he fall, he will rise. Mark that one. Mark the believer. They're down, but they're not out. You're never out. Jesus is with you. This is, this is an encouraging word, man. Redemptive suffering. You need times of refreshing. I'm almost done. Someone, somebody say, keep going. <laughs> This is why we never give up, though our bodies are dying. Oh, Jesus, help us. Right? We go from biceps to bifocals as you get older. <laughs> I had a lady tell me, I have a furniture problem, Pastor. I said, yes. Yeah. She's like, what's that? I go, what's that? She goes, I'm getting older, so my dress keeps falling into my drawers. I had a woman tell me that. I'm like, okay. All right. That's a visual. Don't... <laughs> our bodies are dying, but our spirits are refreshed every day. You, got, you, have, to, you have to realize that you need a, you need a refreshing. We, we need, we need a, we, sometimes you need a break. The world won't give you a break, will it? Uh, most of you, even you work corporate jobs, I mean, it's 60 hours and they want more. They're like, put your arm on the table, give us some more blood, you know. They want, they'll take everything out of you. Your family takes everything out of you. So people with small kids, my daughter has a baby. She's like, I cannot believe how demanding this baby is. I'm like, ah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the world of parenting. 
But you need a pressure valve. Do you have a pressure valve? You have to have one. What is a pressure valve? Your pressure valve, you need, you need, intellectually, you need a hobby. You need a distraction. Get some orchids. That's Sherry's hobby. She's like the orchid queen these days. That's her hobby. She gets stressed out, and she just goes and looks at her orchids. Her orchids make her happy. I bought myself a rake. Huh? <laughs> Watched a show on Teddy Roosevelt, and Teddy Roosevelt had all this stuff go on, and his, his response, whenever he felt like overwhelmed, he'd go out and cut trees. And so there's, if you ever see a picture of Teddy Roosevelt swinging an ax, you know he's stressed out. And he said that he would use that to, like, relieve some of the pressure that he was feeling. And there were all these leaves in my yard. And I'm like, after I watched that documentary, I'm like, I'm buying a rake. <laughs> Got myself a 26-inch plastic one. And Sherry's out there looking at her. She's like, where are all these piles of leaves in the yard? I'm like, great question. <laughs> see that rake over there? <laughs> She's like, are you going to use it? I'm like, watch me. <laughs> if there's any videos of me on the internet raking leaves, you know what I'm going through. There's something. If he's stressed out about something, I'm just out there. You have to have a pressure valve. You need a distraction. Spiritually, you need something to worship, conference, prayer, scripture, all that. Some of y'all ladies, we had prayer yesterday. I couldn't make it, but man, when, when you're here, prayer is like a pressure valve. Ah. Oh. Whew, I feel good, you know? Sherry comes home and she's like floating. Nothing could upset the day. <laughs> Nothing, because it's a pressure valve spiritually. Physically, you may need a vacation. You may need a little activity. You may be too dormant, or you may need to sleep. Huh? Are you, are you a nice person when four hours of sleep? No, 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 no. You're not. Next slide, last slide, and we'll take communion. Focus on the eternal. Life's short. This is what Paul tells us. This life means nothing. This life is a dress rehearsal for the life to come. This life is a training world for a world that will never end. Paul says our present troubles are very small. They won't last very long. Yet they produce in us an immensely great glory that will last forever. So we do not look at the troubles that we can see. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles that we've seen will, say it with me, say it with me. The troubles that I see will soon be over. Aren't you glad? But the joys that come will last forever. Your future is bright and hopeful. Ready? You need to look in the mirror and tell yourself you're immortal. Do you know Disney spent like millions of dollars to get him to freeze himself in cryogenic? You know, and there are people actually still doing this because they're trying to be immortal. And Jesus is handing it out for free. He's handing out immortality for free. You live forever. Life everlasting. World without end. Beautiful. Life greater. It's not, we're not on clouds strumming harps and floating around in, in, in dresses. It's a real world and a real kingdom. It's what it is. Real life, real world, real kingdom. Your future, and it's eternal. And you won't die. You're going to live forever. Happy day. Amen. Happy day. Your future is bright. Your future is hopeful. Why are you discouraged? So I, I'm just giving you the stuff I tell myself. Right? I need to start leaving these. I used to leave messages on my phone. I told you guys this before. We'd plant the church. It'd be like three people. The offering was 20 bucks, and I'd be like, Psh. 
I'm going to buy bullets. I think I'm going to buy bullets. <laughs> and pick up the phone. Kevin, the revolution is on, man. Keep going. Don't give up. She, my wife remembers. We'd have this saying. We'd look at each other and we'd go, the revolution is on. We still say it. Everything can be falling apart and we'll go, the revolution is on. You need to tell yourself that. You need to tell yourself, even if you don't feel it, you need to tell yourself what you don't feel. Truth is not feeling. Truth is truth. Truth is beyond what the reality, whatever the reality is, truth is greater than the reality. My reality says everything's falling apart. Truth says your, your future is bright. Truth says there's a greater tomorrow. Truth says this is not the end of you. You have the Holy Spirit right there. That should make somebody shout. Life cannot defeat you. You have eternal life that is beautiful and is sure. And you need, so here's just the recap. So this is just the thing. Your eternal life that's beautiful and sure. How beautiful is it? I don't know. Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of us the things that God has prepared for them that love him. What it's telling us, it's beyond imagination. Eh? Read Revelation. Paul's walk, or John's walking through. He has a vision. He's in, the, he's in the eternal kingdom, and he's trying to describe it. What he's describing is beyond words. When he says streets of gold, are there literal streets of gold? Well, maybe. Or it could be that it was so surpassing to John that that's the closest thing he could do in the, in the language that he spoke. He, he had no other words. I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm going to call that a street, and I'm going to go with gold. That's my answer. You know, walls of jasper, seas of diamonds, crystal sea, all that stuff. Is that literal? Yeah, it, there's something literal to it. It may not be exactly as he's defining it because he's using a restricted language to describe an unrestricted thing. Yeah. Remember the Lord loves you. Here's your words for encouragement. Remember you are loved. You're loved. For no particular reason at all, you're loved. <laughs> Live from who you are. Live for Jesus. Glory in your limitations and draw from his strengths. Remember you cannot be defeated. Make space to refresh and focus your life on the eternal. Amen. All right, we're going to take communion. So uh, if our beloved Jody is going to play...